Pro teams have millions to spend, and they don't always spend them wisely. But when it comes to a great shave, you don't have to shell out tons of cash. Harry's saw customers getting ripped off by the shaving industry, with overpriced, underperforming products, and decided to do something better. They found their own way to make beautifully designed razors for a fraction of the price of the other big brands, so you never wonder if you overpaid. Harry's shaving products look great, and the weighted handle makes shaving feel great too. I like to keep my beard neat, and Harry's always leaves me with a smooth yet crisp shave. Harry's quality is top-notch, thanks to German-engineered blades made in their own factory that stay sharp longer. You can get a five-blade razor, weighted handle, foaming shave gel, and a travel cover for just three bucks at harrys.com slash bluewire. And Harry's has the highest customer satisfaction in the shaving industry, plus a convenient subscription option that you can cancel at any time. Getting the best doesn't mean spending the most when you shave with Harry's. Get started with a $13 trial set for just $3 at harrys.com slash bluewire. That's harrys.com slash bluewire for a $3 trial set. The Action Network Podcast. 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 If you are even remotely a savage... You'll run these people over in a second. Welcome into the Action Network podcast presented by the FanDuel Sportsbook. I'm your host, Brendan Glasheen, joined by Sean Zarillo and Billy Ward means we have a UFC betting preview for you. UFC 292 this weekend from TD Garden in Boston. 12 fights that were breaking down. We'll look at underdogs, props, and finish up with best bets per usual. First, we start with the co-main event, the bantamweight main event title fight between Aljamain Sterling and Sean O'Malley. Uh, as of right now, over at FanDuel, O'Malley at plus 205. Sterling the favorite at minus 260. Uh, highly anticipated matchup, uh, Zarillo, for this title fight. How do you break this one down, and how do you want to go about betting it, considering we have Sterling as uh, a significant favorite? So Valley, based on how I project these fights, is a very public pick this week. The consensus odds have him winning this fight around 27 to 30% of the time, right, in the betting market. Well, across places where you can select Sean O'Malley or Aljamain Sterling is the winner of this fight. People are picking him closer to a 40% rate. So a very obvious public underdog, in my opinion, Sean O'Malley. I think he has a big fan base. And I also think Aljamain Sterling, given the way his career has played out, the illegal knee thrown by Piotr Jan, the way he reacted to that. People didn't like how he won the belt initially. The subsequent split decision win that he had over Jan, I think, gave more fuel to that fire. And there are a lot of people who do not like Aljamain Sterling, but I think he is a nightmare matchup for Sean O'Malley because he does two things in particular that O'Malley does not like. The first is leg kicks. We've seen O'Malley get kind of drop foot in two separate fights now. Both losses against Cheeto Vera. Right, not both losses. He did end up beating Andre Sukmantath, but he spent a lot of time on bottom in that fight and basically won with his leg falling off and kind of flopping around. Um, you know, that's an issue that we haven't seen crop up again, but it certainly seems like there's some sort of issue with his peroneal nerve, and sometimes he gets kicked, and that foot just goes dead. So that factor is certainly a concern for me, considering how much Sterling kicks the leg. I think the striking can be very competitive, because Sterling does throw a lot of volume. O'Malley probably the better overall distance striker, 
But if this was a 25-minute kickboxing fight, I think it would be pretty much a minus 110 pick them on either side. You bake in all of the grappling upside for Sterling in this fight, and I think you could justify him as a more substantial favorite than he already is. Son O'Malley's last fight against Piotr Jan, taken down, actually body locked, which is Sterling's best trait, his ability to backpack opponents and lock in that body triangle on them quickly, basically the end of the round, if not the end of the fight. Put away Corey Sanhagen with a backpack, rear naked choke very quickly. So uh, Sterling's ability to take the back, to land takedowns here, to chain wrestle and get O'Malley out of his comfort zone, I just think this makes a complete mismatch in terms of the grappling, especially compared to Sterling's recent opponents. This is such a much lesser defensive grappling opponent for him in O'Malley than in his recent fights. So Aljamain Sterling is more ways to win. I like him to win inside the distance at plus 115. I also like the fight to end inside the distance at minus 215. Projected those lines closer to about minus 111 and minus 260 respectively. So value on both of those props. Also slight value on Sterling's money line. Kind of figuring out where I want to add more to. If I want to allocate more to the fight to end inside the distance or just on Sterling straight up. But, you know, kind of figuring out how much decision equity I would give him, how much I think finish equity I give O'Malley because we've seen Sterling put out in the past. So figuring out the dynamics more so if I want to play the fight. But right now I have it allocated where Sterling wins inside the distance. I win both bets. O'Malley finishes him. I push, and then either fighter wins by decision. I lose to one fast. Zarello and Billy have full coverage uh, on the Action app, actionnetwork.com. And Billy, you penned your weekly luck ratings yesterday. And I just it's interesting because a lot of times you'll you'll say at the top, you know, fighters to bet now, undervalued fighters. But in this case, you want to wait a little bit longer, right, as it pertains to uh, Aljamain Sterling because there could be a better line with all the public money coming in at O'Malley. Yeah, Sean referenced it. I haven't bet this one yet. I've been really, really hoping that we're getting a better line at some point on Sterling's money line, because I do think that's probably the most comfortable way to bet this one. I've seen reports from a bunch of different sports books, you know, 80% of tickets coming in on O'Malley, all this stuff, all throughout the week, and they are not moving the line, which tells you something about how they feel about this fight. When all the sports books are happy to take a position on Aljamain Sterling, that's a pretty big sign what's going on here and what everyone thinks. You know, from from a luck rating standpoint, Sean O'Malley was losing the first round against Pedro Munoz, pokes him in the eye, gets declared a no contest, and then we kind of all just pretended he won that fight and kept moving him up the rankings, even though he it was officially a no contest, but he was losing. Then he has a split decision with Poder Jan, like Aljamain Sterling did. Aljo's split over Poder Jan was, I think, a much better win than Sean O'Malley's split decision over Poder Jan, which most of us thought was a pretty bad call. So just from that standpoint. You know, Sterling's a far better fighter here. O'Malley doesn't really deserve a title fight at this point in his career with the people he's fought. The one thing that makes me a little bit nervous is the quick turnaround for Sterling. You know, he wanted this one to be in September. He wanted a couple weeks off to recover. I think the delta between these two guys skill-wise, for most of the reasons Zarello pointed out, is big enough that he should overcome that. So as it stands now, if I had to bet right now at, you know, 11 a.m. on Friday, I would probably go Aljo in rounds four or five or by decision at plus 145. A finish here wouldn't surprise me. I think O'Malley's defensive grappling is a little bit underrated, and it's going to be in deeper waters if it does happen. But I'm really hoping I can get something better than minus 250 on Aljo. Would be comfortable taking that, just really hoping. Again, people, keep betting Sean O'Malley, pump all that money into it. Maybe one of these books will blink and try to balance out a little bit. And just for context, you know, 
Aljamain Sterling did just out wrestle an Olympic champion in Henry Cejudo. So it's it's a uh, it's a big differential in wrestling skill. You know, I, I agree. Sean O'Malley, like Conor McGregor, I think Sean O'Malley's defensive grappling is pretty underrated. Defensive Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu probably underrated. Yeah. I don't know if Aljo just cuts through him like he did with Sanhagen, but I think he's going to have a lot of chances to do it from the back and to potentially finish this fight. I'm glad you phrased that how you did. I I misspoke there. I said defensive grappling. I really meant submission defense. His wrestling defense is not good, but he competes in some fairly high-level submission stuff. He's gone in there with tough guys, tends to lose on points against, you know, borderline elite grapplers. So that part, I I don't think Sterling just comes and taps him out in a minute and a half with, you know, a flying armbar or anything like that. I think it'll be grinding him out, backpacking him, later submissions more likely than earlier. And on to the co-main event of UFC 292 in Boston. We've got uh, a great matchup in the women's side of things, the women's strawweight title fight. We've got uh, Wiley Zhang, the favorite, taking on Amanda Lemos. She's at plus 250 uh, on the money line right now over at uh, FanDuel Sportsbook. Zarillo, same question. How do you uh, assess this matchup, and are there edges to want to side with an underdog here, as opposed to what we just talked about with O'Malley? There's a lot of public money coming in on his side. I think Zhang Weili is going to be a big parlay piece this weekend for people, and I'm actually going to take Billy's approach with the main event and wait to bet potentially on Amanda Lemos at hopefully 3-1 to or better. Uh, It seems like her money line is in that plus 260 to plus 280 range. I've seen it bump up to plus 280, come back down. I'm hoping by fight time, I'm able to get three to one or better on Amanda Lemos, who should have her best success early in this fight. She tends to be more of an early finisher archetype fighter. Now, we've seen in recent fights, she's been able to extend that out, get second round finishes, third round finishes. And I think that is encouraging in terms of her cardio, her ability to maintain finishability late into fights, put damage on opponents late into fights. There's a big discrepancy here, though, in terms of five-round experience. And I do think even though Zhang Weili doesn't have the best cardio for the division, I do think she has the cardio advantage probably against Amanda Lemos. So down the stretch, rounds four and five, I think probably tips a little bit more towards Zhang. But particularly in the earlier rounds, not only can Amanda Lemos keep this competitive win minutes, I think she could potentially finish Zhang. We've seen Zhang knocked out via head kick, had damage put on her, had her face swelled up against Joanna. There's definitely potential for Amanda to finish her in some way. I like her knockout prop at around five and a half to one, projected that closer to plus 450. And I made her money line around plus 250. So as I said, if that money line floats up closer to three to one, I'm definitely going to end up poking it. Um, Wasn't really expecting to necessarily go against Zhang, but I think the price is sort of dictating my hand. Lemos just has a really high floor. She hits very hard. And there's not a lot of finishing upside in this division. So, you know, generally women's strawweight fights go to decision, I believe, around 60% of the time. This fight is juiced up to around minus 350 to end inside the distance, which is pretty drastic. I think if anything, you probably have to lean to the fight to go to a decision or the over, given the pricing there. But for the same analysis and the pricing, I think you have to go to the underdog as well. Billy, seven wins for both of these fighters, four finishes for Zhang, five for Lamosh. Lamosh. Is it Lamo? Lamo? Am I saying it right? How is it? It's, it's, I believe it's Lemos. It's, you know, it's the, the Brazilian pronunciation. So put, throw a little Portuguese uh, heat on there. Lemos. Okay. Sorry, Amanda. I'm trying to get your name right. Amanda Lemos. Okay. Billy, you're on kind of the same page here as Zerillo, right? There's a, 
Amanda Lemos might be slightly undervalued. Yeah, I mean, pretty much in lockstep with him. I like that she has a three-inch reach advantage despite being the same height here. She can land, you know, some straight shots. Her best attribute might be a straight right hand from range, so to have that reach advantage helps her more than it helps some fighters. But yeah, I mean, Zhang is probably skill for skill a better fighter at everything. Lemos just has that huge power that can equalize a lot of stuff. She only needs to land one. We see a lot of finishes in this division where it's a lot of volume. You know, someone's kind of cowered up against the fence and the ref steps in and saves you. Those aren't Amanda's finishes. Amanda hits you and people just explode and are like out, out. It's just a different level of power than we usually see at this division, which can equalize a lot of stuff. You know, I don't think Zhang is the best wrestler. Like, she's got some takedown upside, but she's not one of those super persistent grapplers who's going to force it to be a grappling match. And as long as it's on the feet, you know, Lemos has a shot at finishing it at any point. So in terms of betting it, yep, knockout prop, love that. You know, I thought this might be the best line we get on Lemos. I thought there'd be more money pushing that down, but it's kind of wavered throughout the week. Don't mind her money line as it stands. And then we'll probably look to hedge off with Wiley live after a couple rounds if Lemos hurts her but doesn't finish her. Like, I feel like Lemos has one finishing sequence in her, and if it doesn't happen, she doesn't really have a plan B for what to do after that. Yeah, I feel like for at least the first 10 minutes or so, this is she's going to look like a plus 150 dog at worst. You know, this might look mm-hmm. like a minus 110 fight uh, just in terms of her skill and the power for the first 10 minutes. I think Whaley probably justifies her favoritism after that. But as you said, Billy, you can bet Lemos pre-fight plus 250 and then hedge off live. Lemos and Jang should be, uh, should be good. And again, that price uh, right now at FanDuel for Lemos is at plus 250 as uh, we've discussed. So on the subject of underdogs, Zarillo, you were saying before we recorded today's podcast that this card is littered with dogs that you're interested in. It certainly is. And six of the seven dogs on the prelims, I believe two of the five underdogs on the main card are all fighters and potentially betting or targeting in, in a variety of ways. My favorite amongst them, though, is my Long Island brother, Chris Weidman, coming back from the worst leg injury or the worst injury I've ever seen live. Uh, I guess I wasn't watching the NCAA tournament when that kid on Louisville blew out his leg. That's probably oh, the geez. most widely viewed gruesome injury of all time. But I think Chris Weidman's injury in the midst of the pandemic with no other live sports going on and a lot of casual viewers tuning into that pay-per-view in particular, that was probably the second most widely viewed awful injury of all time. Uh, Ron Jaworski up there too. So it sticks in people's minds, right? Like how bad that leg injury is the recovery he had to go through just to get back to this point. I don't know if I'm going to be able to be in the room watching it until he throws a leg kick. Like I might, I might be listening to the broadcast and be like, Oh, John Anik said he threw a leg kick and he's fine. Like I can come back in the room now uh, because it's, it's going to be a cringe worthy moment when he throws one, like you're going to be holding your breath. He might even be holding his own breath, but in terms of the fight and how the style plays out and where these guys are at in their respective careers, I don't know how, you don't bet Chris Weidman here at plus 210. So peak for peak, Chris Weidman, former middleweight champion, Brad Tavares never cracked the top 10. Chris Weidman, sort of later in his career, right, even before the leg injury, chin was fading, getting knocked out more frequently. Now he's had significant layoff to help that chin recover, but also Brad Tavares, I believe, one finish at the UFC level. He's a decision fighter. He's a point fighter. Brad Tavares also knocked out brutally in his last fight and has not beaten anybody, I believe, who's still currently in the UFC. So Brad Tavares very much at the end of his career, too. 
So if you just assume they've made a similar decline relative to their primes, there's still a huge gap in skill. I think Chris Weidman is the better boxer, prime for prime. So really, everything you're baking into the line, justifying Tavares as a favoritism, is assuming that Weidman has dropped off of a cliff and either cannot take a punch or cannot take a kick or won't be able to kick or just can't do anything athletically. And I don't necessarily know that you can assume all of that making him a plus 210 underdog. This is a guy who has 100% of the grappling upside in this fight and assuming, assuming they're at where they were before Weidman's injury, Weidman's the better striker too. So like I said, I think anything making Weidman a dog here has to do with the leg injury and people just assuming he can't fight anymore. I think you kind of do have to lean into it. Even if it's a quarter unit play, something like that. Plus 210 is a crazy line on Chris Weidman. He's 100% of the grappling upside in this fight. And as I said, assuming he is where he was before the injury, the striking should be close, if not favor him as well. Billy, you're on a pair of dogs, and there's one dog that you're going to start with that has a couple of uh, layers to it that you'd like to uh, to discuss. Yeah, I'm I'm with Sean. This is a great card for underdogs. Real quick on Weidman, he's like minus a thousand to throw that leg kick in the first ten seconds of the fight. By the way, <laughs> like he's going to come out and fire one. We're all going to hold our breath, and then we can get to the fight. Like Zerlo's. I hope there's a camera on Anik. I really hope so. <laughs> in his reaction, for sure. I, I would never steal the Long Island homer pick from Zerillo, but I like that one as well. Uh, first one I'm looking at, Neil Magny, stepping in on short notice to fight Ian Gary. I would absolutely love this pick if Magny had a full camp. I'm a little bit nervous about it as it stands. The biggest thing that stands out for me, though, is most of Ian Gary's game is being taller and longer than people. A couple of his knockouts are from a pull right hook or pull right hand where he just slides just out of range, touches people where they can't touch him. He's fighting, I believe, the longest fighter in the welterweight division by reach at 80 inches in Neil Magny. And Magny has, I would argue, a little bit of the grappling upside here. Gary has some in theory. He's a black belt in both judo and jujitsu. We never really see him do it. And I've seen him taken down in a lot of clinch situations in his last few fights. So I'm not, not quite sure why that hasn't translated it for him. Maybe he just wants to strike. But in theory, Magny can make this a really competitive grappling match. And plus 390 is just a really long odds on that. Part of it is because of the short notice, but I, I think Magny is enough of a professional. He'll be okay there. What I really love, though, is on spots where you can bet the spread is Neil Magny plus three and a half. That basically means he just needs to win one round. So if he can do some cage push, hold him against the fence, mix in a takedown, steal a round, and then not get finished, you cash that bet at plus 165. So if you have the spread betting option, and that's one of two I'm going to talk about tonight, hmm. that's a great one. But I'm going to take a little sprinkle at plus 390. And then my other one, Andrea Lee, plus 270. This is just a pure luck ratings pick. She is 0-3 in split de- split decisions in her career. Just lost a split decision to Macy Barber that was pretty bad. I think most people thought she won. And fighting a relatively unproven, unproven Natalia Silva. So at plus 270, again, small sprinkle here. But had she been given the decision against Barber, she'd probably be plus 120 at worst, if not favored here. Billy, you know who isn't an underdog when it comes to skincare? <laughs> Who's that, Brandon? Caldera Lab. Caldera Lab has been a very uh, supportive group here at Action Network. Uh, these guys at Caldera Lab have figured out skincare for men, so you, Billy, don't have to. Simply the best products and ingredients to round out your wellness routine. Have you guys seen their ads? Check out their website, Action Network listeners. I keep getting hit on social media. It's pretty cool. These guys are the best of the best, and their products show it. I've got the clean slate. I brought it with me on my uh, remote trip 
to parts unknown. I use it once in the morning, once at night, and I feel fresh as daisies and ready to bet some UFC here on the Action Network podcast. Uh, Caldera Lab uh, encourages you that skincare is important, and it doesn't have to be difficult. One minute in the morning, once at night is all you need to reduce the wrinkles, fine lines, and signs of aging. Use the promo code ACTION. That's a part of our exclusive offer. Use the promo code ACTION for their best available offer now at calderalab.com. 20% off is what we are offering right now. If you use the promo code ACTION at calderalab.com. Got that, Billy? <laughs> I do. Okay, very good. That, those are our friends at Caldera Lab. Thank you for their uh, support. Not an underdog when it comes to skincare. Pro teams have millions to spend, and they don't always spend them wisely. But when it comes to a great shave, you don't have to shell out tons of cash. Harry's saw customers getting ripped off by the shaving industry with overpriced, underperforming products and decided to do something better. They found their own way to make beautifully designed razors for a fraction of the price of the other big brands, so you never wonder if you overpaid. Harry's shaving products look great, and the weighted handle makes shaving feel great too. I like to keep my beard neat, and Harry's always leaves me with a smooth yet crisp shave. Harry's quality is top-notch, thanks to German-engineered blades made in their own factory that stay sharp longer. You can get a five-blade razor, weighted handle, foaming shave gel, and a travel cover for just three bucks at harrys.com slash bluewire. And Harry's has the highest customer satisfaction in the shaving industry, plus a convenient subscription option that you can cancel at any time. Getting the best doesn't mean spending the most when you shave with Harry's. Get started with a $13 trial set for just $3 at harrys.com slash bluewire. That's harrys.com slash bluewire for a $3 trial set. Uh, let's move on to our top props available for UFC 292 in Boston. Zarillo, what jumps out? So there's not too many props on this card that I love beyond the fights that we were already going to talk about. I should have mentioned Chris Weidman by decision at plus 500. In addition to his money line, absolutely going to be playing Weidman by decision. Uh, but in terms of the fight that Billy just mentioned, Neil Magny versus Ian Gary, I would lean to the over one and a half rounds. Neil Magny largely throughout his career, a guy who is a decision fighter, point-based fighter. He's been getting finished much more frequently in his recent losses. But I don't necessarily view Ian Gary as some big-time finisher. One via head kick in his last fight and follow-up shots against D-Rod. Has a first-round finish against Williams in his USC debut where he was losing the entire first round and then landed a beautiful counter with two seconds left and put him away. Was knocked down in the first round against Song Kanan. Ended up beating him in the third round with a finish. But again, I don't necessarily view Ian Gary as this huge puncher or even some sort of dynamic attritional finisher where he's working the body, you know, over and over. He throws a head kick combination and landed it, which is great. He throws that head kick combination a lot. My biggest concern is Neil Magny's age, durability seemingly fading, getting slower in fights. So that's why I'm a little bit skeptical about maybe betting the over one and a half here at minus 165, but it does seem like a nice square price to get a guy like Magny who spends a lot of time clinching his opponents, looking for takedowns, putting his opponents in positions where there's just time running off the clock and not a lot is happening. So the over one and a half for Magny Gary at minus 165, a bet I'm considering making, haven't fired at yet. And then the under one and a half in Gregory Rodriguez and Dennis T. Lulin at around minus 190, this is the most heavily favored fight on the card to end inside the distance. I believe it's minus 650. 
to end inside the distance. I made it around minus 550, so I don't necessarily project an edge on it. But this is such a binary fight. Rodriguez has a bad chin, tends to get in firefights. He has a huge grappling advantage in this fight, though, and one takedown is probably enough to get a choke and end it. So I don't really see this one extending unless Rodriguez decides to strike and he just doesn't get knocked out. Uh, and that is a concern because he doesn't have the best gas tank and he knows it, so he doesn't always pursue takedowns right away because he wants to conserve his gas. So that's the concern betting the under one and a half, but I do think the fight likely ends at some point just maybe ends at the eight or nine minute mark than the seven or six minute mark. So that's why, uh, you know, a bit, bit hesitant about laying juice on both of those props. Maybe I end up parlaying them together, though. You know, the under one and a half and the over one and a half in either fight parlayed and reduce my risk on either fight. That's that's how I'm leaning. Billy, I'm curious if you have thoughts on either of those totals and maybe you can push me to passing or end up taking one of them. And, and by the way, that Rodriguez fight, Cirillo, you're right. Minus 650 to uh, the inside the distance uh, line. Minus 650, no. Yeah. No, I, I think we're similarly aligned on the Magni Gary fight where we're trying to find ways to bet that this is closer than the market thinks it is, mm-hmm. but not necessarily have to rely on a Neil Magny win to pay off our bet. Because that's kind of where I'm at. Like, this is probably closer than... I think this might be the most lopsided money line fight on the card right now. I think it should be closer than that, but how do we profit on that without needing a Magny win? Over one and a half feels like a good way to do it, too. Obviously, my spread bet relies on him not getting finished as well, so we're kind of in the same boat. Then on Neil Magny's one, made a career out of turning away guys like this. Being a gatekeeper, taking these rising prospects and saying, yeah, you're not moving up the rankings today, so... It's like it's other than the short notice, I'd be all over Neil Magny here. Other than the fact that Neil Magny looks like he's declining as he's getting older, I'd be all over Neil Magny here. You give me Neil Magny two years ago in this spot, I, it's probably a max bet. Today, it's like, do I want to bet it? So, <laughs> but yeah, and as for the other one, you mentioned Rodriguez likely to get knocked out while it's on the feet, but he's got big power too. So if it stays on the feet, it feels like one of them gets knocked out. I'm not confident saying who. And then if it goes to the ground, it feels like a hobo cop finish pretty easily. So like both of those, I prefer the Magni one out of those choices, especially given the price. And then the one I'm looking at, don't necessarily love this one. I was hoping I could catch some plus money, but Andre Petrosky inside the distance at minus 110 against GM3. Just a humongous grappling advantage here. Petrosky is another one of those Henzo Gracie Philly guys. They're all built the same. They're all like these short, stocky jack dudes. I don't understand how they all have the same physique. And GM3 kind of longer, leaner. I don't like that if it does get to the grappling. Petrosky, I believe, has finished three of his four UFC fights. And GM3 is getting a little bit up there in years. He's chronologically not that much older than Petrosky, but he's been around a while. I think we've seen his best work already. And he's willing to engage in grappling. He likes to go for guillotines, which I think is the worst thing you can do rather than defend a takedown, especially against a guy like Petrosky with his upside. So minus 110, I can see the plus 200 submission line being viable as well, but I'm always worried that Petrosky just uses his grappling edge to beat him up instead of tap him out. Are you concerned at all about uh, his opponent having a bit of a reach advantage? No, because you don't have a reach advantage on the ground. Oh, true. (laughs) You know, and, and if... GM3 wasn't willing to engage in grappling. That matters more. But yeah, I'd, I'd like to hear Sean's thoughts on this one too. Have yeah, fun. so GM3 live, I think is how I'd target it. Uh, G- I mean, GM3 is just the king of like coming back from the dead. And I believe he has the most finishes in middleweight <laughs> history, or the most admissions in middle- middleweight history, one of the two. But it just seems like, especially as he's getting older, he gets wobbled in the first round of every fight. 
if his opponent doesn't put him away, he has a strong chance of coming back. More often than not, the ref steps in, but a lot of these refs know to give him a longer leash because they see him come back all the time. So that'd be concerned with betting the inside the distance on the Petrovsky side, Billy, is that Petrovsky's definitely going to have him in trouble. I don't know if the ref is actually going to step in and stop it in the first round. And if he doesn't, I think GM3 is a decent chance of coming back because he does it all the time on people. Uh, I don't think Petrovsky has the best cardio. And there's a chance, too, where if he puts GM3 in trouble and can't finish him, he might gas out trying to finish him. So just keep an eye on how that first round plays out. I think there may be a chance to jump in on GM3 live at like a huge price after he gets beat up in round one. And we've seen him come back and finish opponents in round two and round three in the past. So uh, yeah, probably a pass for me from a pre-fight perspective would actually lean to the underdog maybe, if anything, just because of the dynamics. But I, I think you get a better price after round one. No, that, that's a good point. I've talked about it in the past with some of these heavily jujitsu based fighters. Their matches when they do jujitsu are one round. Like these guys usually, if they go all out for the finish, because they only get that one round, and then if it's not there, we saw it with Jeremiah Wells, who I was all over, looked like a minus 100,000 favorite for two rounds, got himself finished in the third. Petrovsky's a teammate of Wells, too. So, yeah, you've definitely convinced me on the live angle. If this one doesn't cash for me in round one, I'm hopefully be able to get plus money coming back. Yeah, you may get a huge, I mean, it might be a 10-8 round one, legitimately, Uh, and then you get 10-1 on Mearshart after round two, or after round one, I should say. So, uh, yeah, I think this fight probably finishes, but I also don't think you can justify betting it at minus 230 either. You know, Petrovsky might just get tired and lay on top of him. I think it either finishes early, or it finishes because Petrovsky gets tired. I don't think Petrovsky's going to, like, grind him out and finish him late. I don't think GM3 is necessarily going to, KO him in round one so there's like there's pockets where this finished but I don't know I don't see it being this like crazy fight that is going to have moments throughout uh finally a consensus final bet best bet uh Zarillo uh why don't you tell us who it is it's another underdog yeah and this is an actual best bet this week so Pedro Munoz takes a lot of boxes that we talk about betting underdogs fight heavily favored to go to a decision fighter with all of the grappling upside at plus money you look at Pedro Munoz's career And he's a guy who has insane Brazilian jiu-jitsu finishing skill, but you don't see him employed a lot because he doesn't get to wrestle. And it's one of those things where you're not really sure if he can wrestle. Like a lot of guys with jiu-jitsu, you don't know if he can wrestle. Or based on the opponents he's faced, you don't know if he's had the ability to wrestle because he's faced a lot of guys who are really good counter-grapplers or very good grapplers and had the wrestling advantage in their own right. Dom Cruz, Jose Aldo, Jimmy Rivera, Frankie Edgar, Aljamain Sterling, Cody Garbrandt. Other than Sean O'Malley, that's his recent competition. And in his last fight against Chris Gutierrez, he didn't go for a takedown, but he did get a knockdown and ended up getting top position. And Cheeto Vera is by far the worst defensive wrestler that Pedro Munoz has faced in about 15 fights, uh, 10 fights. It's been quite a long time since Pedro Munoz has gone into a fight and said, I can take this guy down and consolidate top position and lay on top of him. Also add in the fact that Cheeto Vera is much better in five-round fights Mm -hmm. than three-round fights. He consistently starts slow and loses the first round, looks to get a read on his opponents, and then he sort of picks up the pace and comes alive. That has cost him in the past in three-round fights. He typically falls behind. You can typically bet Cheeto Vera better at a a better live number after round one than you would get pre-fight. If you're looking to bet Cheeto here, I think that's the way to play it. You bet Cheeto live after round one, probably closer to a pick-em number, after a close and competitive first round. 
because I think there's a chance Pedro Munoz just grapples from the outset. Fights with the top camp, American top team, they're going to tell him to grapple. I 100% know they're going to tell him to wrestle. It's very obvious that he can land takedowns if he wants them here and that Cheeto is going to accept takedowns and not look to get off of his back if he does get taken down. So all of the grappling upside, fight heavily favored to go to a decision. Very easy to bet the underdog here in a fight that I think, even if it stays standing, is basically a 50-50 matchup. Okay, and that price is coming down. Uh, it's at plus 160 at FanDuel. Billy, anything to add to Zarillo's breakdown of uh, Munoz? Yeah, he nailed the technical elements of it. I'm very glad he mentioned the five-round discrepancy with Cheeto because my favorite way to play this one, again, if you have access to spread bets, is Munoz plus three and a half. Mm-hmm. We've talked about Vera always loses the first round. I went through and looked at all of his scorecards, even fights that he's won by finish. Of his last seven, the only fight he won the first round was against Sean O'Malley, who he finished in the first round. He has lost every fight that made it out of the first round. The judges were going against him. Pedro Munoz has never been finished as a professional. So if we can assume that Pedro Munoz wins the first round and doesn't get finished, that's the spread bet right there. Vera starting so slow, not great for a three-round fight. Basically has to come back and finish him or you know win both of the last two rounds. And again, if we're taking the spread plus three and a half, even if he wins rounds two and three, we're fine. So, yep, Sean nailed the breakdown of the technical side. I have a written piece up on it as well. And then real quick, because we've gone long, but really like Karini Silva, minus 140. Can't believe this is not a longer line. I thought this was going to go the other way earlier in the week. Love it at minus 140 if you can get that one. Excellent. Fellas, uh, great work. Looking forward to it. Zarillo has encouraged me to maybe wait for the prelims to start. Maybe I'll go check this thing out at the garden on Saturday because I don't really have any plans uh, in the afternoon. I'm in Boston for those of you that didn't know. So um, I'm kind of, I want to check this thing out. So we'll see. How steep will the price get Zarillo for a ticket? What do you think? Uh, it's usually like the, the upper level seats are in like the, the two hundreds, you know, okay. before the fight start. Um, well, if I just hit all my bets, then I'll be all right. You know, it depends what your unit size is there, Brendan. Uh, oh. But uh, you, you should be able to, uh, uh, you know, I, I, I think you do well enough, uh, you know, now announcing some WNBA games, doing some podcasting for us. I think you might be able to afford some tickets. Okay. Oh, I want to say hi to your hometown friend, too. Uh, and, and let him know that you support. Looks like, looks like she tickets currently about 400 bucks. So, uh, you know, a little, little steep. They haven't been to Boston in a minute. So, uh, yeah, people very excited for this card. John was very on brand in recommending that you live bet a ticket after the event has started rather <laughs> rather than make one pre-fight. I love that. That's- yeah, live bet after round one. <laughs> live bet after fight one, get a better price on the ticket. Yeah. There you go. I will be sure to, if I do end up going, I will alert both of you if I if I catch anything that seems off. Uh, Appreciate any it. Edges. Yeah. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to set the over 275 and a half for uh, the price that you would have to pay per ticket to get in. Uh, okay. Well, I might pass then. Uh, find Sean Zarillo and Billy Ward in the Action app if they add anything, of course, during, uh, as the card unfolds and anything they might add pre, uh, pre-Saturday before the, uh, the, the card gets underway at TD Garden in Boston for UFC 292. Brendan Glasheen signing off on the Action Network podcast presented by the FanDuel Sportsbook. And we will talk to you again next week. Have a great weekend. Action Network reminds you, please gamble responsibly. If you or someone you care about has a gambling problem, help is available 24-7 at 1-800-GAMBLER.